I want to draw your attention to show us Christ again, that second verse. I, um, I read a book this week that made the words of show us Christ all the more real to me. Um, I read a book called Imprisoned with Isis. There's a man who worked for an organization called Voice of the Martyrs. It's a worldwide Christian organization that works with those persecuted for Christ. And this man, family man from um, the Czech Republic, um, would be in and out of all kinds of countries, and there was sens- sensitive things, and he, he had they had a procedure so that way he can go in and out of these countries that were very hostile to Christianity and be able to go in and out. Well, he went into Sudan, um, and long story short, they were on to him, and they imprisoned him. And he was put into a cell probably smaller than your bedroom with six other men. And there wasn't regular running water. Um, The toilet situation was pretty gruesome. And um, he realized, I think within the first day, that the six other men that were in the cell with him had been captured and were part of ISIS. And he was with those men for four and a half months in that cell. And there would be the calls to prayer even in the middle of the night. And um, the men began to get more and more hostile to him to where it culminated to where they were about to waterboard him and kill him. Um, He was rescued from that situation and moved to another cell. But I think it was at least five or six months, and he had lost 30 or 40 pounds, when through visits from the consulate, Czech consulate, he was given a Bible for the first time during his imprisonment. So he'd spent those first several months without a Bible, and the joy that filled his heart when he finally had God's word, even though he was in the worst of situations, but then he was put into a cell in solitary confinement, but he had his Bible and he was able to spend days on end by himself with God's word and the joy that filled his soul. So when we sing your word is living light upon our darkened eyes, guards us through temptations, and we could say trials in this case, makes the simple wise. Your word is food for famished ones. He was spiritually famished, wondering if he was going to be there his rest of his life. Your food is for famished, your word is for, is food for famished ones, freedom for the slave, riches for the needy soul. Come speak to us today. He was in prison for over a year, and he ended up being released. He went through some very, very rough situations, but he was able to see Christ use him to lead many people to the Lord in his imprisonment. Shocking situations. But God used him, and he finished his imprisonment with joy and thanksgiving in his soul for the time he had in prison and how God used him.
I encourage you this week, pray that God would give you a hunger for his word and that you would yearn for his word this week and that it would feed your soul. That was the free sermon. Here's the one you got to pay for. morning, enlightened but hardened. Enlightened but hardened. Mark chapter 6, and we're going to be just in a few verses, starting in verse 45. Several years ago, actually as, as a teenager, I was shocked. We had moved, most of you know, I grew up in Greenville, South Carolina area. I went to Bob Jones Elementary School, very, very conservative, strict school, and so then we moved to Kentucky, and during my time in Kentucky, I lived in a rough neighborhood, and I ended up going through some very rough years spiritually. I remember going back to visit Bob Jones on a college trip my junior year of high school, and I got to, to meet some of the friends that I knew from elementary school who had continued to go to school there, and I was shocked. I began to realize that many of them had gone through some of the same spiritual issues and had some of the same spiritual problems that I did. And the the, the sin and the hardness in their life, I I was shocked. Here they grew up in this great Christian school, uh, very strict, but great Christian school. They had access to people who knew God's word and loved the Lord. Their lives were surrounded by that. And here, they were in a very pitiful spiritual condition. And this is what we're going to look at this morning, that this is our human capacity. It's our capability to know the truth, to be close to the truth, even for years on end, and to slowly become hardened to it. And to become less and less impacted by it. Now, in fact, you know I talk about this all the time. And perhaps it's easy for you because I mention this so much not to hear me anymore. So my prayer for us this morning is that God would keep our hearts soft. And if they have been hardening that... God would begin to soften our hearts. And let's pray. Truly, Father, I pray, where my heart is hardened, would you soften it? I invite you to show me my hardness of heart and to soften me. Pray that that would be the prayer of many here this morning. Spirit of God, I thank you for your amazing work in hearts. I pray for the person here this morning who has heard the good news of Jesus Christ, but their heart continues to harden. Pray that this morning will be the day when you open their eyes wide, that the light would shine in, and that they would be saved. 
and for the Christian who has more and more become preoccupied with other things and they've left their first love. Spirit of God, show them that this morning. And may they confess and turn away from that and turn to you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. First of all, this morning, Jesus compels us. Jesus compels us. Very interesting truth here. Mark chapter 6 and verse 45 said, Immediately Jesus made, is the word in the ESV. You can also translate that. Jesus compelled or he drove his disciples to get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. Just a reminder here, this is right after the feeding of the 5,000 we looked at last week. So how did that awesome event happen where he multiplied the bread and the fish to feed all these people and had all this leftover? What happened when they were done with that? He pushed, he drove his disciples into boat and said, go to the other side. Very interesting conclusion to this miracle. I want to give you a couple other references that use this word drove or made. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11, Paul, the apostle Paul is saying, I have been a fool. You forced me to it, for I ought to have been commended by you. If you want to look at the context, you can look at that on your own time. 1 Corinthians 12, 11. And then again, Paul, in Acts chapter 28, verse 19, but because... The Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. So, this word made or compelled, let's consider compelling. Very interesting. Finished up the feeding of the 5,000, and he's making the disciples, he's pushing them, he's driving them, he's compelling them, get in the boat and leave and go to the other side. If you could be a fly on the wall in our house on a weekday morning from 7 a.m. to 7.20 a.m., you would hear, especially my wife, but sometimes me, compelling our children. In the morning, during that time frame, sometimes we have to get them moving. They're dragging their feet, or they're fighting, or they're eating, or they're still in their pajamas when they're about ready to get in the car. Compelling happens in our household. So here, 5,000 people are still in this desolate place in Mark chapter 6, and it's time for them to go home. And so before Jesus sends them home, he made the disciples get in the boat. I wonder if this seemed odd to his disciples. They were leaving Jesus alone with all these people, and Jesus was telling them to scat Now, as Jesus was alone with them after the disciples had left, he authoritatively dismissed them, told them it was time to leave. It's a big job, a lot of people for him tell them to leave. Now, sometimes we can learn more from the other gospel accounts of what's going on here, and especially that is the case here today. And we're going to look at the gospel of John, chapter 6, starting in verse 12. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be left over, that nothing may be lost. 
So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with the fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, that's Jesus, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. The Apostle John doesn't record what he did with his disciples, but he does record the atmosphere that was happening there. So this would give us an explanation as to why Jesus wanted his disciples out of there. The atmosphere was there was tense. And these people, they saw what Jesus had done, and there was a lot of them, and they wanted to force him to be their political king. And Jesus would have none of that. So he wanted the disciples out of that situation. So he compelled them to get out of here, get in the boat and go. And then he had to exercise his authority to deal with all these people who wanted to force to make him king to dismiss them and get them to go home. Core truth here that I want us to consider just practically for our Christian experience today is sometimes Jesus compels us towards something. He works in our heart in such a way that we feel an urge that we must do something. Today, we often say that God has given us a burden. Or we would say he's given, we have a prompting of the Holy Spirit to do something. A strong desire. Or through advice from key people in our lives, this comes upon us as a need to do something in God's kingdom. Or maybe through times of prayer, something comes upon your heart very clearly. Now, let me qualify this. Sometimes Christians can get really wacky with their notions of what God is compelling them to do. And they can justify ideas as God's ideas when they're not God's ideas. Or they can allow emotions to improperly inform them. They don't, do not ground themselves in regular private worship and prayer. Or maybe they're characteristically a maverick and constantly will not listen to the input of others. So we do need to consider that, that people can get a little bit out of line with how they say God is, what God is leading them to do. We need to be very cautious with this, but we also need to consider that God does compel us today. Even though he's not present with us on this earth, he does work in our hearts through various means and compel us to do things today. So Jesus compels us, and then Jesus praise for us. This is beautiful. Mark chapter 6, verse 46, And after Jesus had taken leave of them, that's the 5,000, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat, talking about the boat the disciples were in, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. 
And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. So, I want to look at this fact that Jesus prays for us. I'm looking at implications here. It doesn't say specifically that Jesus was praying for the disciples. But it's very realistic that he was praying for the disciples from what we hear from other parts of the scriptures. Also, as we consider Jesus praying here, one of the themes in the Gospel of Mark is when Mark presents Jesus, I think it's four times, where he withdraws to pray, it's right surrounding a time of intense action or something that was tough and hard to deal with. And so here it fits that pattern that Jesus just dealt with people who wanted to force him to be their king inappropriately. And so how does he process that? How does he handle that? He withdraws and goes to the mountain and he spends time in prayer. At the same time, Jesus was praying, though, and presumably processing. Some people would say processing. Instead of process, you process something. You pray through it and process it. Processing what had just happened with this crowd. He also, Mark tells us, he looks out on the sea. He's up on a mountain. Seems kind of miraculous to me that he's able to see on a windy night, he's able to see this boat and see the the situation that the disciples were in and that they were should not be taking them as long as it was. But here they were stuck out in the middle of the lake and they couldn't make any headway because the wind was so hard against them. So there they are just making no room. They're struggling. They're not making any progress, trying to move forward. They can't. It's in, The worst time to have that sort of experience is in the middle of the night. You ever been awake in the middle of the night not feeling good or needing to accomplish something and nothing's going right? With nothing going right in the middle of the night, that's the worst of times. And it feels awful. And so here, their turmoil, their distress had to have been excruciating because in the middle of the night, struggling like that, in the middle of a lake, windy, I'm sure there were some waves, it's upsetting. So Jesus is able to see that, Mark tells us, but he also has withdrawn to pray, presumably, processing what had just happened with the feeding of the 5,000 and they're wanting to force him to be king. To me, this is a vivid example of what our prayer life can be like. It's, it's multidimensional. There's multiple things going on at once to where we have withdrawn to pray in a time because we need to process something. It's hard for us to handle and we need God to help calm our hearts to give us wisdom and direction but at the same time somebody else is on our mind and we know they're struggling we know they're hurting and so here we are trying to pray for ourselves and our own needs but at the same time we're interceding for someone else who is in the middle of a struggle it's amazing how our prayer times can be that way. They're, they're conflicted and they're, it seems like our attention is darting back and forth between our own needs and the needs of someone else we know at that moment. And this is what we can visualize Jesus doing, but in his godlike way. As, he, as the Son of God was praying to the Father, he was also praying for what he had just gone through, but he's also praying for what the disciples were going through. 
I want to at the end focus on the fact that Jesus prays for us. I want to look at another example here just to help us understand that Jesus does pray for us. We can look at the example of Simon Peter in Luke chapter 22 in verse 31. Simon, Simon, this is Jesus speaking here. Behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times that you know me. Jesus prayed for Peter. I wonder what Peter felt like when he heard that Jesus had prayed for him. Maybe at first it was a quick jolt of, wow, Jesus prayed for me? But then, as Jesus goes on, he's like, "Uh, Jesus just told me that Satan wants to sift me? Uh, He says I'm going to fall away? No way. I would never fall away like that. Sadness perhaps mixed with joy here as Peter learns that Jesus had prayed for him. Jesus tells Peter that he's going to fall, but then he will also be restored. All of this process of the fall of Peter and the restoring of Peter borne up through the prayer of Jesus for him. And so it, so it is with us, my friends. We fall. We are restored, and we are borne up on the prayers that Jesus prays for us through it all. You and I do not operate outside the prayers of Jesus for us. Our lives are in the context of Jesus' intercession for us. Everything that happens in your life as a child of God is in the context of Jesus praying for you. You are not able as a child of God to get outside of Jesus' prayers for you. And it's an amazing thought that God prays to God for us. We were saying this morning about God being estranged from God on the cross, and here we read about God praying to God for us. The Son prays to the Father for you. The Father hears the Son's prayer that was prayed for you, and the Father works on behalf of the Son's prayer for you to help you. If you want to read more, your assignment, I'm not going to read it this morning for the sake of time, your assignment is to read John chapter 17, verses 6 through 26. John 17. 6 to 26. And there, John chapter 17 is known as the great high priestly prayer of Jesus. And you want to know how Jesus prays to the Father? Well, here, this is one of the principal passages in the New Testament where we read what Jesus actually prayed. Here in Mark, 
we read that Mark or that Jesus is praying, but it doesn't tell us what he was praying. If you want to know how Jesus prayed and what he prayed and the words he used, read John chapter 17. It is awesome. It'll give you goosebumps. Because Jesus prays at a point in time for people in eternity or for, for people throughout all time for their eternal impact. So next, talk about Jesus prays for us, but also the Holy Spirit prays for us. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 27. This is awesome, my friends. This ought to encourage you, no matter what you're going through, to know these things. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, helps us in our weakness. And here this idea of helping is a continual ongoing help in our perpetual state of weakness. We're weak all the time. We're in the position of weakness on this earth in our Christian experience. And yet through our continual position of weakness, the Holy Spirit is continually praying for us so we can have help. Our weakness may include several emotional and spiritual disabilities. This comes from the Bible Knowledge Commentary. People can have emotional struggles and anxieties and frustrations and discouragements, depressions. There's so much that can strike at us. There can be hard relationship issues. There can be some sort of spiritual disability. Maybe you're really wrestling with a sin struggle in your life and you need to know as a child of God in the midst of all that the Holy Spirit is praying for you. It goes on to say, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. You ever go to prayer and you say, I don't know what to pray for. I don't know what to say. Happens to me all the time. I know I'm supposed to be Mr. Perfect Pastor. I'm always great. No, 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 my friends. I go to prayer and I don't know what to pray sometimes. And there the Holy Spirit is there praying and putting things into words that I can't put into words myself goes on, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us, speaks on our behalf with groanings too deep for words. And here's what gets really maybe confusing but awesome at the same time. Verse 27, and he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Who's the he here? We're already talking about the Holy Spirit. The he here is the Father, God the Father. So God the Father who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So here it is, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all working together in prayer to meet our needs in our Christian earthly experience. What a beautiful thought that is, my friends. And I'll just say this. This is from the Bible Knowledge Commentary. This is an interesting statement about the Father's omniscience and the intimacy within the Trinity. God is not this um, one-dimensional thing, three-dimensional, this, this relationship God has within himself, the pleasure you have, the joy you have, the thrill you have with your good earth relationships. God has that joy and that pleasure within the relationship he has within himself. And so the Lord Jesus continually intercedes for believers in God's presence and the Holy Spirit also intercedes in their behalf. 
though believers are ignorant of what to pray and for how to pray and how to voice those requests, the Spirit voices their requests for them. So, my friends, the Holy Spirit prays for us. Jesus prays for us, the Holy Spirit prays for us, and God the Father works with both the Son and the Spirit in this matter of prayer. If you are low, if you are discouraged, just dwell on that for a little while. The awesomeness of God working together and all his perfections and all his beauty and all his power and all his love for you, praying and working together for your benefit and for your help in your Christian experience. Do you believe it? I suppose you would say you believe it. I think you need to be reminded of it. My next question is, do you do it? Jesus was praying here, not only for others, but for his own needs, going into the presence of the Father. Prayer in our earthly Christian experience, it centers us. It balances us. It calms us. It protects us. It fills us with God's presence. Do you know what that's like? If you are a child of God, you have that opportunity. How rare is that in your life? So Jesus compels us. Jesus prays for us. Jesus draws near to us. And we've lost our slides temporarily, but we're just going to keep on going. So we're looking now at Jesus draws near to us. Mark chapter 6, verse 46. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea. And he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, Verse 50, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. I want to draw your attention to the interesting spatial observations here. First of all, Jesus was praying. It seems like Mark is drawing attention to this, so I want to draw your attention to it. Jesus was praying and the boat was out on the sea. So Mark is kind of highlighting the fact that there was a separation between them. Jesus was on land, the boat was out on the sea, but yet Jesus still saw their struggle, even though it was at a distance away. I don't know how long they struggled. I don't know if they struggled for 30 minutes, an hour or two hours. I suspect it was at least a few hours they were struggling out there in the middle of the lake trying to make headway. Jesus, in their struggle, decides to draw physically near to them through walking on water. He was close, but he was still at a little bit of a distance to them. Then 
he entered the boat and was very close to them, and he comforts them, and he calms the storm. Now, let's talk about recognizing Jesus. I don't know the answer to this, but I think we need to think about it. Why didn't the disciples recognize Jesus? Was it because it was so dark? Did they just see a dark figure or a dark outline walking on the sea? And because of the high winds, and there, were there waves? And so was Jesus kind of moving up and down with the waves as he walked along the waves? And they really couldn't see much? Let's consider what the scripture tells us was their first thought as they saw this dark figure out on the waves. They all saw it, and they all thought it was a ghost. Now, first thoughts are formed by common perceptions and patterns of thinking. I know that gets a little deep, but the idea is usually the first thing we think about things has to do with how we normally think about things. And I seriously doubt they had seen something like this before. I I doubt they'd seen some sort of ghost or spirit of any kind before. Yet they still thought it was a ghost. It's kind of interesting. All that they had experienced with Jesus had not informed them through their first thoughts and reactions in this situation. So they have been with Jesus enough at this point that they should have, it should have occurred to them that something miraculous was happening and that it must have been Jesus. So let's form a principle here. There are times when Jesus draws near to us in a tough situation. And we do not recognize him. Our past experiences with Jesus through the reading of scriptures, through times of personal worship, through times of corporate worship, times of public prayer, times of private prayer, times with our brothers and sisters in Christ, all of these experiences, as we've experienced Jesus through them, do not inform us in the moment of crisis when Jesus has drawn near to us. In other words, we have been enlightened through all those experiences, but in some sense hardened as Jesus draws near to us, but we do not recognize it as Jesus drawing near to us. The other thing I want to mention here is that There are other aspects to this experience of Jesus out on the waves and then getting into the boat with them that Mark doesn't mention. That's why the different gospel narratives that are inspired by the Holy Spirit, they each have their place, they each have their perspective. This is the same instance when Peter walked on water, but Mark doesn't mention it. That's not part of how the Holy Spirit led him to give us this account. Okay, so Jesus compels us, Jesus prays for us, Jesus draws near to us, and then finally today, Jesus is unappreciated by us. 
Mark chapter 6, verse 50. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. So, my friends, here we talk about being enlightened, as the disciples were, but hardened. Mark alone, we're talking about the different gospel writers, as the Holy Spirit led them to write the accounts. The gospel of Mark is the only one that includes this last little commentary about the disciples. That they had just seen Jesus perform something miraculous with the loaves and fish, with with uh, the feeding of the 5,000. They had just seen that. But they did not understand and they did not believe because their hearts were hardened. That is shocking. That is scary, friends, that, that that could happen to the disciples, but it could also happen to you and I. We have experienced Jesus in so many ways in our lives, and yet our hearts are hardened, and we do not believe in him, and we cannot receive him and, and have trust in him because our hearts have hardened. Very easy for us to to say, well, that was just the disciples. No, my friends, that's you and I. I want to touch on something else similar but a little bit different, talking about the hardening of our hearts. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11 here. The book of Deuteronomy, the the, uh, children of Israel have gone through these 40 years in the wilderness. Now they're getting ready to enter the land of Canaan and and take over the land. And as God is preparing them through Moses, the book of Deuteronomy is a lot of preaching and teaching and a reapplying of the law that he had given them 40 years before. And through that, there's some principles. And he says here in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11, take care lest you forget the Lord your God. By, keeping, by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today, lest, and here's the catcher, here's the thing I want you to, to pay attention to, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know that he might humble you, and test you to do you good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, 
that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. So here is what I consider something very similar but slightly different than what we're seeing in the Gospel of Mark. God provides for us. And in God's provision for us, we end up forgetting the Lord and trusting on ourselves. I think that's a key struggle for people here in America. We have so much. And yet we struggle to find time for the Lord. We are busy with so many things. We have been richly provided for, and yet we've been hardened because we don't have time for the Lord. We don't yearn after Him. Instead, we are self-contented and we have all these riches and those things are more important to us than the Lord. How can this be? And this is the depths of our sinful heart. Remember, it was Adam and Eve that ran away from Jesus in the Garden of Eden. And know that without God pursuing you, so it is the same for you. You will wander. As the hymn says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. You have a wandering heart, my friend. So do I. And a heart that can be hardened. We must seek after the Lord. Humble ourselves and earnestly, faithfully seek after Him, that He may soften our hearts, and may we live in His strength, keeping our focus on Him. So Jesus compels us. Jesus prays for us. Jesus draws near to us. Jesus is unappreciated by us. Points of Application Day. Are you enlightened? but hardened. Are you provided for, but forgetting the Lord? Are you a maverick with your notions from the Lord? Or are you grounding yourself in your time with the Lord? Take a few minutes and respond to the Lord.
occasionally I encourage you to respond a little bit more than normal. If God has put a testimony upon your heart, we invite you to come and share it with us. You're welcome to do that. Or if you just need to talk to somebody, or brother or sister, make sure that you don't leave this building before you've set a time and date to talk with that brother or sister to encourage you and to process what God is doing in your heart. Don't delay. Delay brings decay. Actively pursue the Lord.